Obviously, we're on lesson number nine, and we just finished up with um, Dare to Stay Clean, and we've kind of seen David's sin, so this one goes over uh, just how we need to be um, willing and able to accept correction and um, let the Lord really just work in our lives, because uh, we're, we're going to mess up too. So, um, so lesson number nine, dare to accept correction. Um, Andy, could you open this up in a word of prayer? Father, we look at this lesson tonight. We thank that we face the things we uh, need to learn. So as I said, said earlier, uh, introduction um, to this. Now we see how we see David's sin in the last one. Um, so it's been been a little bit after um, David marries Bathsheba, and it seems like they are all kind of thinking everything's okay and pretending that everything's um, fine. Um, and it poses a question, the book, the author here poses a question, what was life like for David during that time? Uh, inwardly, um, David was anguished. He knew how badly he had gone wrong and what it had already cost. He knew that bad things were happening because of a sin. But he still wanted to keep up his appearances. He knew he had lost his fellowship with God, but was not ready to do what was necessary to get it back. So inside he was hurting badly, but for the time being, he continued to try to cover his sin. And if you think about it, uh, a man after God's own heart, how close he was to the Lord, and then that all gets cut off uh, so severely like that. David knew. <laughs> he, was, um, he was in anguish. Um, Psalms chapter 32, 3 through 4, and we'll go around the room. Um, here, I'll read the first one. Uh, 32, 3 through 4, 3 says, When I kept silence, my bones waxed, waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer season. Because of his sin and his refusal to repent, David also lost time and opportunity. During this period, David won no victories, either spiritually or militarily. Spiritually, David was spinning his wheels. He lost out on what he could have done during this time. David tarried in Jerusalem when he should have been fighting and winning on the battlefield. Now he was running from God when he could have been running for God. He was sinking when he could have been climbing. He was off track and moving in the wrong direction. Uh, and we talked about that that before as um, it's like sins of just, just really sin, sins of omission, sins of commission. You're not only, it's not only your sin, but it's like what you could have done uh, during that time and uh, energy and effort that you, that we go into um, covering stuff up and uh, sinning and uh, 
I don't know about, I'm sure, you know, everybody is uh, similar, but when you have something not right in your heart, it's really hard to, to serve uh, and do anything for the Lord when something's bothering you, especially if there's something between you and your wife. It's really hard to serve your wife if you have something that's bothering you about anything. It's just like that with the Lord. Um, so militarily, the campaign David had shirked continued to drag out. His army continued to fight, but no decisive victory could be won. As he did with David in this lesson, God will often bring people into our lives to correct us and hopefully redirect us. Chastening is never enjoyable or comfortable, yet if we will receive it properly, we will find God using it to change our direction and our destiny. So point number one, a what heart? Erring heart, an erring heart. Yeah. And it's not ringer in our lease on today, it's airing. David had made some decisions that certainly took him out of God's will and were about, and were about to bring God's judgments upon his life. Again, it must be emphasized, David was in this situation because he had first failed to be where he needed to be, fighting the battle for God. And um, you may not feel like uh, some things, uh, church, uh, we, everybody gets tired. Um, but if we're not where we need to be fighting the battle for God, uh, just like David, we're, we're going to fall prey to the lust of the eyes and the sin. And David's sin progressed from there. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 15. Um, understanding is favor. Proverbs 28:13. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. When we're away from God and we know it, what keeps us from truly repenting of our sin and coming back? As long as things are going well, it's because we enjoy the sin and we hope and believe we'll get away with it. When things start to go wrong, it's our pride. Nobody likes to admit that they're wrong. <clears throat> we want everybody else to think we're okay. We want other people to approve of us, and we're afraid that if we tell the truth, they won't approve of us. So we'd rather pretend we're okay than do what it takes to get really okay. By the time we continue to 2 Samuel 12 in David's encounter with Nathan, David had spent several months in <clears throat> this state of denial. Subpoint A, David went astray. <clears throat> David and Bathsheba had thought, or at least hoped, that nobody else knew the truth. But God had told Nathan and sent him to David. That does like, it just shows you how far you can get off. Like somebody so close to God. Like I, I can't understand uh, that of, like, did you really think God didn't know? I don't know. It's just uh, as somebody at that, yeah, after God's own heart and 
The Lord sees everything, even if nobody else does. Um, so, but only the Lord could give courage uh, to such a man with such a message um, when God told Nathan uh, to go to David. Nathan confronted David by means of a parable, telling a powerful story of a rich man and a poor man. One man had so much and one had so little. Yet the rich man confiscated the poor man's most prized possession for his own selfish ends. The injustice was so obvious that David could not help but feel pity and empathy for the wrong man. His righteous indignation swelled and he pronounced the death penalty along with fourfold restoration. <clears throat> upon the rich man who had stolen the little ewe lamb for the poor man. But David still really didn't get the point. It was easier for him to see the mote in another's eyes than to see the beam in his own eyes. So Nathan told him directly, Thou art the man. And we have that scripture in 2 Samuel 12, 7 through 12. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house, and thy master's wives, into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight, that hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon? Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this earth. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. So Nathan proceeded to deliver the message that God had given him for his monarch and friend. God had given David so much and was willing to give him even more. So why had he despised God's commandments against uh, murder, theft, and adultery? The truth was out in spite of all David's effort to hide it. 2 Samuel 12, verse 9. Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. So now therefore, Nathan continued, he'd explained that the judgment of God was going to fall not only on David himself, but also on his family. Sin, while it may be committed privately, often, not every time, but often has public consequences. And so it would be with David. Even if it's not public, the Lord always knows and always costs something. Second Samuel twelve twelve. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And uh, another, like, I was reading through this of having of specifically Nathan being able to deliver this kind of message to the king, um, how much he really loved David and had that kind of relationship to be able to approach him. Um, it's pretty neat. 
um, but how you know God does that for us, um, the Holy Spirit can convict us, and how close that can be. Um, all right, so subpoint B: David was made aware. With this story, um, with this story told and David's verdict pronounced, Nathan then came to the point of the encounter and made David aware directly of his wrongdoing. Thou art the man. Imagine the painful silence. Then all at once David confessed to what he had done. Second Samuel twelve thirteen through 14. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the ch child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. The time of deceit and pretending everything was fine was over. There was no excuse, no finger pointing, or shifting the blame. You can almost hear the mournful cry of David's heart as he said, I have sinned against the Lord. How much better would have have been the um, had this been the moment come several months earlier had David obeyed the voice of God and his consequences and confessed on his own? And maybe it would have been a whole lot different. Um, don't know. In Psalms fifty one one through four, verse one says, "Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude." Of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Thou mightest be justified when thou speakest to be clear when thou judgest. But then we see something else. Although David admitted his guilt, Nathan made him aware that there were going to be consequences for his actions. In verse 14, David is made aware of the fact that he will be judged. Nathan tells David that the child he conceived with Bathsheba will die. Some might wonder about the severity of the judgment upon David and his family. It's pretty heavy judgment. Um, but the, the big reason for it is in verse 14. Uh, Nathan said that David had given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. And therefore the child would die. God takes his reputation very seriously, and he will not tolerate his children besmirching his name among unbelievers. Paul confirms this truth in Romans 2, 17-29, where he was very direct with the Jews who were full of spiritual pride, but whose lives did not honor God, telling them the name of God, uh, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. Romans two verse twenty four. For the name of God is for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. We who call ourselves Christians need to be extremely careful that our actions do not bring ill. Uh, repute upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The world is looking for people who uh, consistently live by what they say um, 
Yeah, the world is looking for people who can uh, consistently live by what they say uh, they believe. And we've, yeah, you notice that all the time. Um, and people notice. People notice. And they look. And sometimes they're waiting. And they have that little gossip to tell. Um, but we need yeah, take that very seriously. We understand how David could do the things he did while still being uh, overall a man of God's own heart. But the people who don't know the Lord wouldn't understand. They would believe David to be a hypocrite, even as they consider some Christians today. We always need to be aware that our lives affect other people. They need us to live for God. Uh, illustration story here. Pretty good one. Um, the story about a pen salesman. Uh, he explained to the owner of a small store the, uh, the vast benefits of his fine line of ballpoint pens. With his winsome personality and compelling reasoning, he convinced the owner to place an order for 500 pens. No sooner had the salesman begun filling out the order, however, the store owner abruptly interrupted, Wait! I changed my mind to cancel my order. And with that, he disappeared into his back office, firmly shutting the door behind him. The salesman stood stunned for a few minutes, shrugged his shoulders, and then walked out of the store. Once the salesman left, the secretary tapped on the office door and asked the owner why he decided to cancel his order so quickly and seemingly out of nowhere. That salesman that came in and talked to me for over a half an hour, the owner grumbled, he told me why I needed his pens and how they could help our business and what good bargain I was getting. But when he filled out his order form, he was using a different kind of pen. If his pens are so great, why wasn't he using his own product? That's pretty good. We can be experts in our verbal witness for Christ, but if our lives do not match our words, the world will disregard our claims of the power of the gospel. Point number two on what heart? Open heart, an open heart. An open heart. God's word places great importance on the condition of our heart. And God commands us to guard it carefully. Proverbs 4, 23. Keep that heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. During this trial, God gives us a few gives us a view of the heart of David, an erring heart that, through honest confession and repentance, became once again an open heart. Subpoint A. There's two words there. David's what was what. Heart was tender. Second Samuel twelve fifteen through sixteen. And Nathan departed unto his house. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. David therefore besought God for the child. And David fasted, and went in, and lay all night upon the earth. David already knew that God had prophesied the death of his child. David could have simply bowed to the inevitable and said, What will, what will be, will be. 
Instead, we see a tender heart full of compassion as David immediately began to fast and pray. In verse 16, we see David did three things. He besought God for the child. He fasted. Um, you know, references Matthew 17, 21 and Mark 9, 29 um, of how Jesus was talking about, you know, only by prayer and fasting come certain things. So David fasted, uh, and he also laid on the earth. It can certainly be said that if we have a tender heart, we can be doing these exact same things for others as well. It would be good to ask ourselves the recurring question, when was the last time I fasted? prayed and wept on behalf of someone else. You know, often, you know, like, you do those things. It's generally ourselves. So how often have we do that for someone else? And even more in context with this lesson, um, when was the last time I have fasted and prayed and wept on the behalf of someone else whose life has been hurt because of my sin? That's um, pretty deep questions there. All right, subpoint B. David's what was in what? Trust was in God. Trust was in God. That was the one. So Second Samuel twelve sixteen through nineteen. David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted and went in, and lay all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose, and went to him and to raise him up from the earth, but he would not, neither did he eat bread with him. It came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. The servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, and he would not hearken unto our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? But when David saw that his servants whispered, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servant, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. It is interesting to note that during his son's seven-day illness, David did not put his trust in the doctors, but in God. God's word tells each of us to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. And certainly David exemplifies this in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. While we should certainly be thankful for our doctors and for others who can give us advice, we must ultimately remember that there is but one great physician. This is why we must follow the admonition of 1 Peter 5, 7, which tells us to cast all of our cares upon him because he cares for us. With the death of his son, David arose, washed himself, and stopped grieving. He had come to the point in his life when he knew that he could trust God. Notice the assurance he had uh, that, his child, that his child was in good hands and that he would see him again one day. 2 Samuel twelve twenty three. I believe that's me. Uh, so it says, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Uh, this illustration here, 
Um, it says the pastor had a habit of going through old cemeteries and reading, oh, I'm trying to remember how to say this word. I had to look it up. Epitaphs. Epitaphs. Did I say that right? From my decoding of the, oh, the other word I can't think of, how you're supposed to say the words. I'm thinking it's epitaphs. On the tombstones, he told the story of, um, of coming up upon a grave marker in the state of Mississippi, which had some interesting words inscribed upon it. It had the names of a brother and a sister who had died early in life. Inscribed upon the marker were these words. No more kisses on the brow. These lips are stilled to me. Dear God, how can we give them up? The pastor was moved and fell on his knees to pray. As he knelt by the grave marker and reread it one more time, he noticed that there was one more little line that was not legible until the grass was pulled back away from the stone. That line said, to anyone but thee. As followers of Christ, we will endure times of happiness and sadness. God does not promise us only easy and good times because we are his children. In fact, he assures us in 2 Timothy 3.12 that all those who are godly will suffer persecution. However, God does not promise us that everything he brings into our lives, good or bad, even chastisement for our sin, but he does promise us he will work it all together for good. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are to call according to his purpose. In every heartache we go through, our Heavenly Father will never leave us or forsake us. Hebrews 13, 5. For he saith, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. As David illustrated in his time of trial, we can trust God and his promises to us. All right, point number three, a what heart? Repentant heart. All right. Repentance, according to the Strong's systematic theology, is that voluntary change in the mind of the sinner in which he turns from sin, being essentially a change of mind. It involves a change of view, a change of feeling, and a change of purpose. Some, some form of the word repent occurs 112 times in the Bible. In Matthew 3, 2, we see John the Baptist saying, Repent ye. Just one chapter later, Matthew 4, 17, Jesus said almost the same words when he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, um, yeah, I think the dad or brother reader just saying this that, uh, pretty recently. Uh, now i got to remember. Because I messed up last time. <laughs> so... Somebody just said that earlier. <laughs> but, and there's a, a, lot of, a lot of the form of the word repent in the Bible. So David confessed his sin and turned from it. In short, he repented. As the story continues to unfold, we see the results of David's repentance. 
sub-point A, David was restored. Second okay. Samuel twelve twenty through 23. David arose from the earth, washed and anointed himself, and changed his apparel, and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he came to his own house, and when he required, they set bread before him, and he did eat. Then said his servants unto him, What thing is this that thou hast done? Thou didst fast and weep for the child while it was alive. But when the child was dead, thou didst rise and eat bread. And he said, While well, the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child will live? But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him but he shall not return to me. After God's judgment was fulfilled with the death of the child, David returned to his normal schedule. <clears throat> he bathed himself, dressed himself, anointed himself, and sat down to eat. He knew that it was time to go on with his life, time to once again walk with God and work for God. He had accepted both God's judgment and God's forgiveness, and God restored him. All too often, people allow themselves to become embittered by tragedies in their lives. David knew he had brought all this on himself, yet he knew that God would not despise his broken and contrite heart, and that he would still have opportunities to serve his Lord. Psalms 51:17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. In Psalms 51, David makes it clear that what he wants is to have his former joy restored, the relationship with God that comes from when there's nothing between our soul and the Savior. Psalms 51.12 is a cry from the sorrowful man to his maker. Psalm 51.12 Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. All right, so it's kind of had um, a note in here. It kind of looks fitting. We just had the Lord's Suppers, but uh, it says we ought to constantly ask ourselves, is there anything that we ought to do in order to have the joy of our salvation restored? Um, while this is a, a primary part of taking the Lord's Supper, this should be a daily occurrence for every believer. Illustration, uh, A.T., Pearson told the story of a famous clock in Strasbourg Cathedral. He said that it had a mechanism so complicated it seemed to the ignorant and the superstitious almost a work of superhuman skill. The abused and offended uh, clockmaker, while as yet unpaid for his work, came one day and touched its secret springs and it stopped. All the patience and ingenuity of a nation's mechanics and artisans failed to restore its disordered mechanism and set it in motion. Afterward, when his grievances were addressed, were redressed, that the maker came again, touched the inner springs, and set it again in motion, and all of its multiplied parts were revolved again obedient to his will. When thus by a touch he suspended and restored those marvelous movements, he gave to any doubting mind proof that he was the maker and certainly the master of that clock. 
He then continued to explain that, that how that applies to the Christian life by saying, when Jesus of Nazareth brings it to a stop the mechanisms of nature, makes it mighty wheels turn back, or in any way arrest uh, its grand movement, more than all, when he cannot only stop but start again. The mysterious clock of human life, uh, he gives to an honest mind the overwhelming proof that he is God, for uh, a mo- A malignant power might arrest or destroy, but only God could reconstruct and restore. And we see that, um, you know, not only in uh, um, the miracles he did with Lazarus, but also like every day how people are changed uh, when they get saved. And uh, you think of Corey Ten Boom, and that's just not possible by human reasoning to be able to have that sort of forgiveness with everything uh, she went through. Um, It just goes to speak of who God is. So while David was a king with all human powers at his hands, only God could restore his relationship with him. It wasn't until David humbled himself and repented that God restored him. We too should be reminded daily that nothing we do to manipulate circumstances, can bring us closer to our Savior. We can cover our sin for those around us, but our hearts will still be separated from God. We must humble ourselves, repent, and realize that it is only through God's grace that we are restored. Subpoint B, David was relieved. David was relieved. In 2 Samuel 12, verse 24. David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went in unto her and lay with her. And she bare a son, and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him. One of the most encouraging things about David, uh, David's having a repentant heart is seeing him go immediately to comfort Bathsheba. One of the most obvious fruits of a repentant and restored life is the desire to minister to others. Because God relieved David of a sin, David comforted Bathsheba, his wife. It ought to be the goal of the believer to be in the comforting business, to seek to lift burdens and to lighten the load of those around them. We have experienced that the forgiving grace of God, uh, we, we know the feelings of relief that forgiveness brings. It is now our responsibility to share that same peace with others Uh, who are searching. In conclusion, erring believers today need to accept correction and to seek going forward for the cause of Christ. And we're all human, so we all err every day. Um, Failure does not have to be final. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. God's chastening in our lives is simply a result of his love for us. And it's interesting, um, just working with Joe, and he's starting to understand uh, discipline. And he's starting to like really understand that it's a cause 
of something he did, and he's not liking it. And it, oh, what did he tell me the other day? It's kind of funny. I had a hard time spanking him. Uh, I told him he did something, and I was like, Joe, you're going to have to get spankings because uh, you disobeyed mommy or you disobeyed dad. And he's like, Dad, it just hurts so bad. <laughs> but he's been having <clears throat> um, trouble understanding. Like He's starting to get a little angry with me when I'm disciplining him. He doesn't quite understand yet that it's because I, I love him. And, you know, I, I try to let him know that. But the same way with, with God with us and how hard it is for kids, same with us. You know, when the Lord's chastening, it's because he loves us. He wants to see us restored back to him um, and be a good boy you know, in our house. So. so Proverbs chapter 3, verse 12 um, tells us this. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. So, and it kind of goes to just what I uh, was just saying, just as we correct our children, um, because we care about their character and their behavior, so does the Lord with us. Let us do our best to be the sons and daughters of Christ, to learn our lessons, though they may hurt our sinful pride, and to seek to live for him. All right. Um, we got a few minutes to look at some questions. Let's see here. So, how did Nathan confront David with his sin? He had a parable. Um, and then the parable didn't really make sense. He had to tell him, thou art the man. But um, how often is, is that kind of similar to us of um, when we're in church and we hear the parables, so to speak, in church, and it convicts us, and we kind of think somebody knows something, <laughs> what we're going through. But it's, um, the Lord knows what we need, and uh, we need to be sensitive to that. So how did David, David react to Nathan's message of, thou art the man? Yeah. So, so how did David react when God struck the child with the fatal illness? fasted, uh, yeah, he prayed, stayed up all night, uh, he wept for the child, and then what happened uh, when, the, when the child finally died? He went on, and he just accepted it, and he knew, uh, knew to see his, his uh, son one day again. Um, and he worshiped the Lord um, after he knew it was, it was time to, uh, tired of a sin, and was ready to, to move on. What psalm did David write to express his anguish over his sin and his desire for his restoration? Oh, I meant to have made a specific emphasis on these ones. Oh, okay, you guys are good. And he also referred to Psalms 32. When we try to cover our sin, how are we affected? A lot of answers there. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. 
questions you might have on it. Pretty sure the law didn't require all those things that he said. Yeah. Kill the guy. Yeah. Yeah. You you do wonder. Yeah, it does seem like it's depicts he was troubled. So yeah, out in the mortars the same way. That's a good point. Yeah. We gotta be careful when we're lifting ourselves up. Is there a reason why we're doing that? Are we trying to cover something deeper in our lives? All right. So, why does God often deal with our sin more severely than He would do with a lost person? Where's children? He loves us. Yeah. Where's children? He loves us. What are some private things we can do to express our compassions for others? Kind of goes what he did for uh, his son. Uh, it's kind of relating it there. Yeah. Fall before God. Fast, pray. Uh, weep. Weeping for them. When we repent and accept the forgiveness of God, what may follow? Easier is it to do in the Lord's work and walk with Him? And yeah, and how good does it feel? And um, finally get something right with your, your wife, and uh, you're able to actually enjoy fellowship with Him uh, once again, same way with, with the Lord. All right, uh, has a a memory verse. I'm not sure if the memory verse is in your in your book, but it is pretty good. Um, kind of sums sums this up. In First John one eight eight through nine, it says, "If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness." All right. So, Deb, would you come up and close us and give your closing thoughts? Often I think about David. It's in heaven. There they are, talking about me again. <laughs> um, you know, all things, they're written for, for us to, to learn by. And for one, we need to be doing what we should be doing. That's a pretty big lesson. Um, I think we need to be warned of what can happen as a result of our sin to others, our loved ones, the severe penalties on David. Um, but we, and, 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 the, and the way to, to do it is just to come before God and confess it and uh, ask what he wants you to do, if anything, in that. And I think a lot of times God, just if you think about your child, he comes to you even if it's pretty bad 
you know, I think God just wants to deal with it there. But as we have a habit of hiding, not confessing and going away, he's going to grab us. And it's going to hurt. And then sometimes, and with David, we'll bring it out publicly, he still loves us. Um, and with David, we have a, a warning of his example. And so it ought to just put the fear in us, uh, in our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your lesson tonight and how to accept correction in our lives, Lord God, and how David did. And Father, it was a very wrong thing, and it cost David tremendously. But God loved him, and God had a purpose in all that he did and his judgment upon that sin. And so, Father, uh, may we learn from that and um, deal, keep the account short and be always willing, every little thing, every little thought in our mind to bring it before you to confess it and to ask forgiveness and to be close to you. David had to, was far away from you for a while. And it was very hurtful in his life, Lord God. May we just keep the account short and, um, again, just confess our sins to you. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.